Hello, and welcome to this episode of Teetering on the Edge. I'm your host, Kim Teeter, and I am really excited to be chatting with Dr. Beth Westy this week about female hormones and all of the trials and tribulations that we go through dealing with them. So this episode ended up being really long because Dr. Westy kind of brought the fire and it was awesome. So it's going to be a two-parter. This is the first time I've done a two-parter, but I want you guys to be able to get all of it in a really good way. So this week we'll have part one. Next Tuesday we'll have part two. So stay tuned. I can't wait to share this episode with you. So I am talking with the fabulous Dr. Beth Westy. Um, Beth, uh, <laughs> um, fabulous. introduce yourself, tell everybody um, who you are, what you do. Um, you know, I'll leave my fangirling till later. Oh, <laughs> Okay. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me on here. This is just so amazing. Um, I'm honored, you know, that you want to have me on your, on your podcast. So this is super fun. Um, I, hi, I'm Dr. Beth Westy. <laughs> um, I am a chiropractor by training, um, but I'm also certified in acupuncture, Eastern medicine, and I'm a women's health and hormone expert. So I work primarily with well, primarily, I work only with women. I don't work with men. It's so funny. I actually just had somebody email me earlier today saying, "Do you work with men? I want, I want this, uh, horm I want hormone testing done." And I'm like, "Okay, I mean, I do mostly for like a fertility from a fertility standpoint, oh, okay. but not, not like how I work with women." Um, but uh, yeah, and um, I got you know, started in this because I had issues with my health, like so many people do, right? When I, when I, you know, got started in my like career life, I actually had a clinic, you know, I had a chiropractic clinic. I had a clinic for about seven years. Um, I did really well. I loved it. I still love it. I still love the hands-on aspect of patient care and all that stuff. But um, I started diving into the world of women's health and, you know, changed, changed paths completely because that's just what I was really passionate about. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I live in Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. I grew up on a goat farm. So I, <laughs> I don't know. Random I, facts. I love I it. I know, random facts. I, I, I'm, an, I'm an athlete. I, I have a husband. I have three kids. Yeah. 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 So yeah. So I guess full disclosure for the folks that are listening, I actually learned about Dr. Westy through a podcast and, um, you know, did my due diligence because I have all the fun hormonal problems and we are working on those, on that kind of fun. But, um, I guess, how did you get started with like this being your passion thing, going from like chiropractics to women's health? Yeah. So I got started, um, and all of this because, because of my own health issues, um, which is never fun, right? It's never fun to, you know, struggle yourself, especially for somebody who works in the health field. That's one of the most frustrating things, right? It's one of the most <laughs> annoying things to have to go through. And that's really what, what I did. Um, so I was an athlete in college. I played volleyball um, and my husband was a skier. So, you know, we were both athletes, both had that like, you know, super, you know, busy, active lifestyle. Uh, we graduated, I started chiropractic school, and then I actually had my first two kids while I was in school. Um, so that was a bit of a struggle schedule wise, yeah. stress wise, right? Like 
going through, um, you know, everything, uh, you know, studying, you know, taking boards, you know, exams, midterms, finals, all of that, and, and raising babies. Um, and once I got through school, I started my uh, business. I started a clinic and because um, I had graduated, passed my last boards exam, got licensed, started a clinic. And this was all within like four months. And then a month later, I found out I was pregnant with my third. <laughs> None of this was planned, by the way. People who were like, oh, wow. Oh, all, She's no, a real go-getter. Yeah, no, this was all like, oh my God, again? What? <laughs> um, so yeah, so, you know, brand new business. And for people who have a business, I know you understand like how awful it can be starting a business. You love your work. You're so passionate about your work. But I mean, to be totally transparent, I, I did not make money the first year I was open, like brought home zero dollars. <laughs> Which so many new entrepreneurs need to hear because I feel like you're you're listening to all of these things and you're comparing, you know, your day one to their day 100. And you're like, well, yeah, I do want to make 10 times what I'm making now. And like, how, why is it not coming in six months? I thought Instagram was going to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, absolutely. That was the thing. Like everybody, every, all the advice I got the, you know, and, and I, I know that I did not go to school for business. I went to school to be a health practitioner. And so that's what I was focused on for a lot of years. And I spent a lot of years studying with my face in a book. And so that's what I was knowledgeable on, not on business. And so I actually had a coach, um, you know, and used a, a management company and things like that to try and help my business. And I did everything that they told me to do and it was not working. You know, it just, it, it didn't work for me. And I'm not saying that it doesn't work. It just, it did not work for me. And I did not know enough to know that I needed to transition and pivot sooner than what I was doing <laughs> before letting it go for almost a year. I mean, there was at one point, I mean, almost a, it was just less than a year. I was like three weeks away from closing my doors. Wow. Like it was bad. Like it was, we're behind on these bills and they're going to turn the lights off. And that's going to be embarrassing if we're going to try and have the doors be open and see patients. And they're like, Why <laughs> we're having it be very calm today. We're just, yeah. <laughs> right? we're just using candles from the dollar store. It's not because we well, can't we're meditating. It's a meditative. No, meditative <laughs> very peaceful in here. Oh my God. But like, that's, I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly what it was. And, and again, I was pregnant with my third and then she was actually born two months early. So, um, I had a preemie in the hospital and she was in the hospital for, she was in the NICU for 23 days. I had a preemie, a two-year-old and a four-year-old and a failing business. So, oh my goodness. So stress, <laughs> right? Yeah. Stress up the, I, and I was working like 60, 70 hours a week, you know, cause I, I was doing everything for you <laughs> and it's already done. Like you're not <laughs> going <through> that now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so, but it was, you know, I mean, for lack of a better, I mean, yes, there was a trauma with like having another C-section because I'm a, I'm a high-risk pregnancy person. Um, and she was born early, actually had a placental abruption. So, um, you know, yeah. 
I know. I, both my girls. Um... Let's peel away the onions of this, uh, or the layers of this <laughs> onion. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, how much more awful can it get? Like, why were you stressed? Well, yeah, I was pregnant, and then I had a placental abruption, so she was born two months early. So there was an emergency C-section and all those other things. And, um, but you know, you know, luckily she was, you know, healthy enough. You know, she was um, about five pounds when she was born. So at seven months, that's, you know, seven months gest gestation, yeah. that's a pretty decent size. That's actually a pretty big preemie. <laughs> um, and, you know, she didn't have any other health issues or complications or anything. She's just, you know, she's, she was perfectly healthy just early um, and had to gain weight. But at this point, you know, I'm like, I'm recovering from a C-section. I'm trying to figure out all this business stuff. I just switched business coaches. Um, and started working with um, other people that were, that was very helpful, but mm -hmm. totally different gears. So implementing all new systems, procedures, marketing, everything that's, so it's like, you're starting over again. Yeah. With the business. And <laughs> after, like, I was literally working on marketing, like sitting in the NICU, like she'd be napping and I'd be on my laptop, like doing things like it was. So this was a, like a very stressful point. And after this, you know, when my cycle started again and everything else hormonally, um, I started developing ovarian cysts. So from this, I was able to like put my head down, grind it out, you know, just like power through and start building a business from there. And so my business started to turn around. Um, and, and I, within a couple of years, I actually had a really thriving business because of how hard I pushed at that point. So it was good, but I was under so much stress that I, yeah, I started getting cysts. So for the first year and a half of her life, for 18 months, I had a cyst burst every single month. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I'd be treating patients in my office and I would have to run back to my back room <laughs> and like hide behind a table because oh. a cyst would burst and it would just, they're painful. Yeah. They, they freaking hurt. So I, it would drop me to the floor and I'd be like sweating and like uh, trying to power through it to just like wait for it to subside enough for me to go back to treating patients. And um, that's that was what I, I'd never had cysts before. I'd never had, you know, I, I mean, I guess I don't know if I really had hormone issues before. Cause I was on birth control for like a decade before I even started having kids. Um, and then had kids and then, I mean, so my, and then my husband, you know, snip, snip, we were done at that point. You know, <laughs> my family is complete. So yeah. you're up there, babe. I had three C-sections, so you're up and, um, yeah. And for, for some people they're like, they wonder about, well, if you had a C-section, why didn't you tie your tubes? Well, she was an emergency C-section. So as they wheel, cause I was actually on par for um, a ligation, a, a fallopian. Okay. They were going to tie my tubes, yeah. but when you're having an emergency C-section and the, and it's early, they actually recommend not because if the baby doesn't make it, because when the situation is that dire, no. yeah, they were like, okay, tip, we see that you're done for a ligation procedure, but because of the circumstances, we usually don't do that because if the baby dies, you might want to have another baby. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're like, yeah. just take the whole thing. Just, just yeah, like, what the... it. just like take it all. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is, this is great. This is great. You know? So, I mean, just for like, again, all the trauma and stress and everything of going through all this stuff. So, so, it, so my husband had a vasectomy later then. Cause I was like, okay, listen, I went through enough crap. You're up, you're up, buddy. Right. Um, fair is fair. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he, um, so after that, you know, I, 
and I didn't really want to be on birth control after that anyway. Right. Sure. But at one point, you know, having, you know, this many cysts for this long of a time, all these other things. Um, my husband got really worried and he actually put me in the car and drove me to the ER because I mean, I, I mean, I was just stubborn. I wouldn't go, <laughs> I wouldn't go, uh, you know, I'm having cysts burst every, every single month, a cyst would burst and it would be super painful and I wouldn't go in. And finally, you know, I go into the ER, um, and they were like, yep, it's a cyst. And I was like, yep, I know. Like, okay. Uh, like, I don't understand why I'm having these. You know, that was my biggest struggle. I couldn't understand why I was eating a pristine diet. Like I had changed everything that I could. I was eating gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, no alcohol, completely non-inflammatory. Um, I was taking a basket of supplements. It was literally over 35 supplements a day. What? Yeah. I'm not kidding. It would take me almost an hour to take all my supplements <laughs> in the morning because all my friends are like health practitioners. They're all like natural yeah. crunchy, you know, they're all <laughs> chiropractors or you know, acupuncturists, naturopaths, like, you know, they'd all be like, oh, take this thing. Oh, have you tried this? No, I haven't tried this weird krill oil, but I will try it. I will try anything to not get a cyst again. So, you know, desperation is real. Seriously, seriously. That's what I couldn't, I couldn't fathom why this was happening. I was doing all these things and it wasn't getting rid of the cysts. And the, the doc at the ER finally was like, well, yeah, no, that's going to work because all you need is birth control. Here's your birth control. Here's your Vicodin. See you later. That's what you're going to, you have PCOS and you're always going to have sick. I was like, you know, I, I understand. I was like, but okay. A couple of things here, sir. Uh, I want to know why this is happening. I don't understand why this is happening. And then what can I do to make this not happen? So, and he was like, well, your hormones are imbalanced. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why did I break my leg? Because you fell down. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, like, I don't want to like trivialize what you went through, but also it's kind of nice to know that even a medical professional that's highly educated in, in, you know, the body is sitting there having the same conversation with another doctor that those of us without that background are having. So it's not anything to do with the fact that you don't have a medical degree. It's the fact that, you know, even medical professionals are going through the, you know, the dismissive nature of hormonal issues. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And this was, you know, and I did, you know, besides going into the ER, cause an ER doc, that's a trauma doc. That's not his specialty. Okay. Yeah. You know, you can always write that off. And even though I, you know, I went into see uh, my OBGYN um, and they have a rotation of people. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily get to see my favorite one. Um, but you know, their, their recommendation was always birth control and Vicodin, birth control yeah. and Vicodin. They don't, that's the only tools they had in their toolbox. They don't have anything else. They're not well-versed enough to talk about, you know, diet or lifestyle or, or any of those things that would actually make an impact because they're just not informed on it, you know, other than they're like, well, we can run a hormone panel on you. And I'm like, uh, okay, well, what's that going to show? And why, why is that going to make a difference? That's what I wanted to know. And how and old were you when like you were doing all of this? 
Yeah, so let's see. I had all of my kids, um, let's see, 25, 27, 29. So it started when I was 29 and 30 um, before I turned 31. Yeah. Yeah. Because isn't there this, and, and this, this may be, no, nah, you probably know, but like, <laughs> isn't there like, there's an age cap on birth control. Like there's, I feel like there's a spot in which they're like, Hey, you need to be careful if you're taking it past this age. You know, I would love if more people said that. <laughs> I would, I would, I would love, I would love that. I just last week chatted with a lady who is 55 and has been on birth control since she had her last child in her mid thirties. And so she is going on two decades of being on birth control. And she, she, and during our, our conversation, I, I asked her, I was like, so you're on birth control. Like you're in a you're entering like menopausal age. I was like, is there a reason that like, you know, she's like, I don't know, actually, I was actually kind of wondering that because every time I go in for my yearly checkup, all they do is ask how things are going. And I'm like, it's going fine. And then they say, okay, here's your script for the next year. See you next year. And it's been going like that for 20 years. And she's like, so am I in menopause? I was like, <laughs> maybe we'll find out. Won't we? <laughs> Like yeah. that's, that's what, I mean, they do, I mean, at, at some point, depending on each person's history, they might do like hormone replacement or something like that, you know, for a later age. But yeah, I've had, I've had women say things to me that they will get put on birth controls at all ages, no matter what. Yeah. And I mean, cause I was unfortunate, like fortunately, unfortunately, I started at about 15 yep. and started to put piece together my symptoms at 34 <laughs> and so I was still on it at 35 and I have a super inquisitive husband who went on and like started reading all the medical stuff because that's his background and he went you know you're really not supposed to be on this stuff past 35 like you can but like your doctor should be talking to you about you know post 35 and I was like wait there's a cap on this <laughs> like per the manufacturer yeah right, and that's exactly what he said to me he was like so i looked up your box that i saw sitting there and <laughs> i didn't even think i didn't even yeah. think to like google my medication to be yeah. like is there a point in which i should stop taking this after being on it for 20 years like when i did the math i was like oh god it's been 20 years <laughs> yeah it's shocking and very concerning. And there's so much information in the manufacturers, um, you know, when they list things for some of these medications that it almost, it's, it's overwhelming. And there's no way anybody had a conversation with you on this stuff when you went in before. No. Right? Yeah. And I had the same, I think I was 15 when I started taking birth mm -hmm. control and no one had a conversation with me other than make sure you take it at the same time every day. And if you go on antibiotics, it becomes ineffective. That was the two things. Right. 
and they were they were not to get off on a tangent here to the right. folks that are listening well, let's, but like, let's get off on were, a tangent <laughs> they were more than happy to tell me that it was cool to just take it continuously because like there's nothing you know some dude decided once that 28 days was kind of how it worked and like this is where we're gonna go and you know being in my 20s I was like well things I don't want in my life <laughs> yeah period like yeah. sure I'll just keep taking it continuously and did that for about eight years of just straight up and when I started figuring out my symptoms I was they were like oh, that's PCOS. And I was like, okay, what do I know? Like you're, you're the medical professional until I read the packaging and it was like, all of your symptoms could be caused by the medication to stop your symptoms. <laughs> it's, it like, it's like, it's like, Brain is like listening to those commercials. That's like this will help with your diarrhea, but could cause diarrhea. diarrhea. <laughs> but yes, <Right. laughs> that's exactly what it is. Um, one of the number one things that uh, you know that women have to put up with from birth control is actually nutrient deficiencies. Um, yeah. Being on the pill, the imbalance of hormones, everything else that affects how how much nutrient levels your body has in stores and everything. And so a lot of side effects from the pill are one thing or birth controls are one thing, but then you have this whole other subset of side effects that come from nutrient deficiencies because of, you know, and it just, oh my gosh, it yep. becomes so overwhelming then at that point to try and figure out, right. All these things. And so, so here I was thinking like, I have these cysts, they're awful. They happen every single month. I didn't have them before. I want to know why they're happening. And I'm definitely not going to start introducing more of a hormonal thing, like a birth control into my body right now. Cause that doesn't seem like it's going to go well for me. Like, like I got this huge garbage fire going on. Why don't we dump some gasoline on it? That seems like a good idea. Oh, but Vicodin, because then I'll just be doped up all day. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Who cares? Cause I'll be on Vicodin. Right? <laughs> oh, this is why I get so frustrated. And so there's a great book too. Um, I mean, so the book that I have, the first chapter, I actually talk about the history of, you know, nutrition and health in our country and why it's set up this way and how it's set up for men and not women and all that stuff. But there's a whole book. It's called Doing Harm. Oh, I haven't heard mm. of this one. See, oh my gosh. Even if I'm learning something, dive, <laughs> Yeah. If you want to deep dive down this rabbit hole, I tell you doing harm and then there's like a the subtitle is like the lazy science or something or lazy medicine something mm -hmm. i can't remember but it's basically how it interferes with women's bodies and how they do all these tests medical tests pharmaceutical tests everything on women and this is um so i reference this of you know you know all testing especially pharmaceutical testing used to be done on men yep. women weren't even allowed to be a part of studies until 1993 1993 was when women could even partake in pharmaceutical studies. And, and even at that point, they make up a small percentage of the test subjects, meaning that any results or data that comes out of it, it's not going to be a quantifiable amount enough to skew any results or, um, you know, what they would take from that data, like their conclusions. 
oh, look, there's here's some outliers here. But we're, these are outliers of results. So we're going to throw these out and we'll just go with a subset of the average results, which is still based on the male body. So before that, they used men that were 140 pounds and called that equivalent to a female. I wish. 140 pound <laughs> males, right? I know. I'm I'm 6'2". I'm enormous. I'm a huge gal. Like, I'm very tall. I am 5'5", I, I, I five five, <laughs> and that is five pounds heavier than, like, the lowest healthy weight that I could be at 5'5". Five five. Yeah. I am not that weight. Dear God, one day again, maybe, but <laughs> yeah. I think I was 140 pounds in like sixth grade for me because I'm so tall. I think I was a sixth grader when I was 140 pounds. Well, and I've I've heard some of the because um and for those that are listening, another excellent book, especially if you're an athlete, is Roar. And Dr. Sims goes into this in depth. And that's kind of where my research into all of this started because I was like, oh. I'm running and they're recommending this mini pill. Why are they recommending this mini pill? Like it was like this like little, and, and she doesn't even recommend that, but it's like, if you have to do it, it's yeah. this. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm definitely not on that. What's the difference between this and this? And like, it leads you down. I mean, in my case, a really good rabbit hole, but it's like, you go down this rabbit hole of, okay, why am I gaining weight? Okay. Why am I working out harder and nothing's working? Okay. Why are they doing this? And just like you said, the nutritional deficiencies, it's like when you start researching, my doctor told me, he was like, oh yeah, like you're like, you're on a track towards like an IBS kind of deal, an IBD kind of deal. He was like, your system isn't taking in nutrients. It's just leaking out. And so I'm eating more because my body was craving energy. <laughs> so it was like amazing that when you like, you fix one problem, like you're like, okay. And so it's just like everything, but it snowballs. Yeah. And if we're all over the place for you right now, friends, this is what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's true. <laughs> but yes, yeah, it's. It's, it's all this stuff. It's the entire way that it was all set up. It was not set up for us to be successful. It was not set up for the female body at all. Mm -mm. The, the research was done. So think about all the birth control pills that were developed and created in the sixties and the seventies. They were all tested on men. They weren't tested on women right. and they were and tested for a short period of time. They even used even in lab, like animals, um, like lab rats and things like that. When they use lab rats, the majority of the time they use male lab rats for testing. I love your face right now. This is why. Right? Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a scientist. It's right. not about, it's not about the data. It's not about, it's not about understanding what's best for the human body or for the physiology. It is, it is time because time is money when you're doing testing. Yep. So even a rat or a mouse that is female has a cycle and that still means it's going to take longer to get the same data from a female test subject than a male test subject. So they use male test subjects because they can get data in a shorter period of time, get their drugs or whatever it is approved, kick it out to market. There you go. Well, and like, that's what blows my mind because like you say 1993 yeah. and like instantly I went, I am an 85 baby. I was eight. 
I was eight when they finally started doing some testing. It just, a law got passed that allowed it. That's like, it. A law got passed that allowed women to be part of these studies. So even still today, and so in the book, Doing Harm, she dives into this um, a bit more. Women make up anywhere from two to maybe some tests are like 25 or 30% of all test subjects. So in some areas of health or other things like that, 2%. They're still not using, so they're, essentially they're still not using women. They're still, yeah. The female body is still not you know, acknowledged, right? And women are, I don't know, half the population. <laughs> what do we, what, what do we matter? Right, yeah. Let's make up half the population on earth and have since the beginning of time. Okay, no big deal. <laughs> Insert your conspiracy theory here. <laughs> <laughs> go in many different fun. directions here and I'm like, it's probably best that I don't. Insert your conspiracy theory <laughs> yeah. here. Whichever one resonates with you at the moment you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But this is, but this is why this has been going on forever, right? This has been going on for a really long time. The health system was set up by men for men, you know, women's bodies were not. Um, and if you want to go down the rabbit hole of what they did with women's bodies, um, who they call like the modern, the father of gynecology. Have you done research on this? Have you ever looked oh, at this? I, I have very vague, like I decided not to go down that it's rabbit dark. hole, but it's a, it's a real, it's a real it's scary dark. place, friends. It is. It is. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, what's his name? Marion James something sins or something. Anyway, he, uh, um, he's the father of like gynecology or whatever. And he, he did, um, he like brutalized women. He brutalized, um, he would, he would purchase slaves and he would, yeah, you know, it was awful, but that's, so think about the entire, you know, OBGYN, you know, system that we have, that's where we talk about stress from women. Yes, <laughs> yes, right? Like, holy crap, right? And there are some things that I can understand that they were trying to understand more about the female body and, and like, you know, dealing with like a prolapsed uterus or things like that. Okay. But in terms of the general health and wellness aspect of it, that was not taken into account. And really looking at the female body as what it is and the physiology is not acknowledged in lifestyle and wellness. And that's the biggest place where women are neglected in their health and what leads to issues, you know, cysts, mm -hmm. fibroids, you know, all these other things, you know, PCOS where, you know, you have all these other health issues and the trickle down effect of it because our physiology is not acknowledged from the get go. Thanks again for joining us for this episode. As always, if you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe, and leave a review because that is truly how this podcast can grow. Thanks so much.